invite you to grab your worship guide, and inside you'll find a, a worship, uh, I'm sorry, message outline. If you could pull that out, we're going to study God's Word for the next few minutes. And I'm also going to invite you to reach inside uh, the little pocket in front of your chair there and get a pen, because we're going to be taking notes as we study God's Word this morning. I'm going to be asking you to circle some things, maybe underline some things, or fill in some blanks. Um, today I'm going to talk about a commencement address from Jesus. Now, Jesus is not here in person, but I'm going to do my best to share with you some what I think are some of the things that Jesus would be talking to a graduate about. Before I do that, um, in, inside your worship guide, don't miss that opportunity with our team from Nicaragua. Who are Anybody interested in Nicaragua, there's a meeting immediately after worship today, and um, we want to send a bunch of folks to Nicaragua. If you're interested at all in doing an international mission and having your heart captured by some people on the other side of the world, don't leave. It's a short meeting, but uh, Ross Cooper will be meeting to give out information on that trip. Now, today I want to talk with you about kind of four big ideas, all right? Four big ideas that if you could wrap your heart and your mind, really wrap your life around four big ideas that Jesus came sharing, it'll change your life. It'll change your family tree. If you can wrap your mind and your heart and your life, your, the way you live around these things, they will absolutely bring fruit into your life. Now, this past weekend was graduation weekend for a lot of folks, and so is next weekend and then next weekend, and so a lot of graduating is going on. If you're on Facebook at all, I know that during this season right here, you're seeing graduation, graduation, you're seeing pictures from all over the place, all these different people graduating. Today, I want to talk to you about what Jesus might say at your graduation. Now, I've graduated many times, and um, I've heard the Dalai Lama give my commencement address. I've heard Desmond Tutu give an, a commencement address. I have heard yesterday the president of Austin P. give a commencement address. And, and it's interesting each time I'm listening for what they have to share from their particular worldview. But I'm also very interested that while they are sharing, it's, it's interesting to take a, a look of the room. You know, when people are graduating, there's some happiness going on, right? And yet, there's a little bit of sadness. I mean, there's some tears of hallelujah, you know, and no more bills. But there's also some, um, there's some tears going, I don't know if I'm ready for them to grow up or to move out or whatever it is, you know. And, and, and there's some happiness of, you know, uh, brothers and sisters ready to get their room. There's a lot of things going on in the room all at any given moment when a commencement address is going on. Now, what's interesting about commencement addresses, or actually commencement exercises, is that they happen in several moments throughout our life. I mean, we have preschoolers that graduate, right? And we celebrate them, and then we talk about the next phase of their life. And then you get elementary school, and middle school, and high school's a big moment. You're moving into a new phase of life. And then college, right? And then for some other ones, grad school. My son, my son, my middle boy, who, uh, Andrew, who, who is graduating and moving from one college campus to another, my father-in-law pulled him aside and he said, son, you better enjoy these moments because let me tell you, when you finally get that last degree and everybody celebrates you, then you're going to be working for the rest of your life, you know, and trying to give him a little, little wake-up call. Andrew said, well, I guess I'm just going to keep going to school, dad. I mean, a granddad, papa. Well, uh, these commencement addresses, here's how they work. I've noticed something. Normally, when somebody stands up to give a commencement address, matter of fact, I looked at the top 10 commencement addresses on YouTube this past week. Each of them had one common denominator. 
they all started with humor. So I thought if Jesus is going to give a commencement address, maybe he would start with some humor, all right? And so I'll start there. All right, so uh, little girl's sitting with her mom in church, and the preacher gets up, and he's talking about to dust we were born, from dust we will return, that, that Jesus breathed in the dust, and he created life. And, and this whole dust thing got to the little girl. And on the way home, mom has not even thought any more hardly about it. And the little girl said, Mom, is it true that we came from dust and that we're going to return back to dust? And the mom said, well, yeah, baby, it's really true. And she said, then I'm worried because grandma's under my bed. Just kidding. Well, Jesus' humor might have been a little better than mine. Today I want to share with you four big ideas, all right? Four big ideas. And if I could speak to our graduates for a minute, the graduates in the room, yes, these four big ideas will be on the final exam, all right? They will be. I'm going to read a scripture that comes from a very special place called the Sermon on the Mount. Now, the truth of the matter is, it's just a little hillside by the Sea of Galilee. But Jesus one day had thousands of people following him, and he did something very strategic. He pulled his closest friends to the front of the crowd, and he taught them, and he let everybody else overhear it. Now, these chapters in the Bible, if you have your Bible, I want to invite you to turn to Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. These chapters, which in most of our Bibles are red-letter words, these chapters some have called the greatest sermon that was ever preached. Because when Jesus was teaching, he went from one subject to another subject about the kingdom and about our words and about our thoughts. He went about money. He dealt with so many different things. But what's interesting was he was teaching his closest disciples and then the thousands of other people who were there happened to overhear Jesus teach. Now, I look back at the Sermon on the Mount this week, and I thought about the three or four or five things that are the most important, and that's what I'm trying to share with you today, four big ideas from the Sermon on the Mount. And so the place where I would start is in Matthew chapter 5, verse 14 through 16. Jesus said these words, You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and, they, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. So this is the mission of Jesus' disciples, the ones who are right there and then the ones who are overhearing. And I would say to every graduate or every, every person who is, who, is, who is about to graduate, I would say this is your mission. Jesus said you are to be the light of the world, put on a stand so everybody in the house can receive light. That's your mission in the world. I brought with me today a candle. And I just want to light this candle real quickly. This candle for me, will represent light. Now, this reminds me that every Christmas, we actually turn off all the lights, Christmas Eve, and we have one candle like this. And that one candle, we light that candle to remember that light came into the world. And that that light, the Bible says, was the light of humanity. Now, we'll begin to pass that candle around throughout the rest of the room, but before we do that, I just want to say this, in order to understand what Jesus is teaching about light, you must understand darkness. In the Bible, 
Whenever, the, whenever darkness, the word darkness is used, it is always about adversity and struggle. It's about strife. It's about pain. Oh! <laughs> I love my daughter's laugh. She really enjoyed that. Um, so let's turn on the light for a minute. Did you know that the book of Job speaks about, the, it uses the word darkness more than 30 times? Job experienced great darkness. Now, I'll say it one more time. In order to understand light, you must understand darkness. Jesus said to his disciples, you are the light of the world. You know what he was saying to them? In essence, what what he was saying was, I am sending you out into darkness to address the darkness, to push back the places in this world that are filled with pain and suffering and agony and evil and wickedness. I'm asking you to go out and make a difference, to push back the darkness. I don't know if you've ever noticed this before, but on on a campus, I was thinking about this the other day, at Emory University when I did my grad program at Emory, In the very heart of every campus, every state large campus, are three schools that sit right next to each other. They always sit right next to each other. The theology school, the medical school, and the law school. Those three tenets were the basis of the archaic education system. Theology, God, medicine, the human body, law, the ability to to tend and to take care of each other. And let's think about those three schools, which are the heart of most major university campuses. You know, each one of those schools, the goal of those three schools is that the students that go to those schools would come out as healing agents for the world. Whether they studied God or whether they studied law or whether they studied medicine, the goal was to come out and not just be able to to get in law, get people to agree with one another, but it's actually to come out and bring the world into a better place from the degree that you pursued. And what has happened over time is so many other schools within a college start to launch. You have the School of Arts, you have the School of Business, you have all these different schools, but in the end, the education is there to equip you to become a healer, to equip you to make a difference in the world, so that when you come out, you're actually able with your newfound learnings to make a difference for the better in the world. And that's not too far from what Jesus was saying in that you have been called to be a light, to push back the darkness, to make a difference wherever you go. Now, here's here's the mind-blowing idea. If you could get this, okay, if you could understand this, here's how it works. So God is going to give you a job, okay? If you're finishing school, or some, at some point you're going to get a job, all right? And here's what I know, and this is what I want you to learn about this. Your job is going to be one job, probably, of several that you have. Did you know that most college graduates, they, they, get about, they have about seven different careers during their lifetime? I mean, you're going to get a job, and you're going to then leave that job for another job for a different promotion, you know. Or you're going to get fired. I mean, it can happen too, right? You're going to have a job and then you're going to get another job. But here's what I want you to understand. A job is not the heartbeat of who you've been made to be. You've been made to be a healing agent and the light. You've been made to be salt. That's what Jesus is teaching. So wherever your job is, this is what you're called to figure out. Okay, I have passions. I have gifts. 
and I'm going to be employing those somewhere to make a difference. And here's the big question, God, how might you use me to be light in this place? You see, I know people that hate their job. I know people that go, why am I still here? But listen, if you could get this, whenever you figure out that wherever you work, that if you go into that place and you say, God, how have you called me to be light here? It changes everything. It can make the most dull, boring job, the job that seems so meaningless, it can make that job all of a sudden have an entirely different perspective when you begin to ask the question, God, how have you called me to push back the darkness here? How have you called me to be light in this place? This is what God is calling you to discover, that that you will have many jobs and many things that you give your life towards in the future. But the key is, have you understood the calling of Jesus to be a light in that place? Read it with me. Let your light shine before others that they will see your good works and they will glorify your Father in heaven. So that first word, that first point, be light. Be light, push back the darkness. You know, I used to think of that scripture like, okay, it's my job to shine, you know? And in some ways it is. I mean, it says, let your light shine, right? But you know, I was reading that scripture this past week and I realized that Jesus is speaking to his disciples and he's basically saying, and I am going to send you out as light God is basically saying, listen, to every one of those graduates, graduating high school, college, graduate degree or or doctoral degree, he's saying, I'm going to send you out into the world. I want you to shine. Don't be dull. Don't hide it. Don't pull back. Don't don't try to fit into the crowd. Caitlin, don't you try to fit in the crowd at Georgia Tech. It stinks anyway, all right? You shine. You shine. I don't have anything against Georgia Tech, you know, seriously. The crowd will always run one way, and they will be so attracted to look like each other. The people who make a difference for Jesus in the world are the people who say, you know what? This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. Oh, that's my hope for you. And don't you know that Jesus, who probably knew he had such a short time here, can you imagine how impassioned he was when he was sharing with his disciples? Listen, I'm sending you into the world. Push back the darkness. Push it back and make a difference and let your light shine. Because if people can see your light, they will look to the heavens and they will glorify your Father in heaven because they've seen how you act. That's the first big thing. And I think if you can get that, it can change your family tree. It can certainly make Monday and Tuesday morning at, at your work a lot different when you say, God, how have you called me to push back the darkness here? How have you called me to be light? Look at another thing Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. And this one's interesting. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So Jesus is talking about treasures. He's talking about finances. He's talking about stuff, possessions. That's what Jesus is talking about. Now, just a couple of verses later, Jesus says the same thing in the same sermon, but he says it a little differently. He says it in Matthew 6, 24. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and you will despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. 
all right, then let's talk about this. I mean, in Jesus' most important sermon, in the greatest sermon ever preached, he's going to say, you cannot serve both God and money. Jesus, what are you after here? And what do you have to teach us about life? Now, here's what I want you to understand. I think Jesus would say this. Money is important. Let's not pretend it's not, okay? Money is important. Matter of fact, most of our, our, our folks going to school, we, we say, okay, now that career you're running after, now how much money can it make, you know? And we're not saying that because we want them to be rich. We're saying that because we want them to be able to take care of themselves or possibly take care of us. You know, how much money does it make, you know? Now, now here's what I want you to understand. Jesus, Jesus knew that money mattered. He knew that money was on the minds of many, many people all the time. But Jesus also knew and even taught that money is not the most important thing. It's not even close to being the most important thing. And you need to make sure that you always remember that. And you need to make sure that you always remember that. In Luke, in verse, uh, chapter 12, listen to what Jesus said. Jesus said, life does not consist in the abundance of your possessions. You might want to underline that entire scripture. It'd be worth you memorizing on the way to work tomorrow and putting a little sticker on your odometer. It's very easy to memorize. Life does not consist in the abundance of your possessions. Now, here's why that's important, graduates. Here's why that's important. Because we live in a world that is screaming, that is what life is about. Get your stuff. Get stuff, get stuff, get stuff. It talks that the world wants to tell us that, that life is really found in the neighborhood you live in. Life is found in the phone you have and the clothes you wear and the car you drive. That's where you want life. You want to really enjoy life? Then you get the stuff, right? The world is screaming. Life is found in the, in the abundance of your possessions. But Jesus said, listen, your life does not consist in the abundance of your possessions. And here's what I want you to know. You might want to write it in the margin right here. We all forget this. I'm your pastor, and I forget this, okay? We, matter of fact, write in point number two real quickly, and it's this. Do not serve money. Do not serve possessions. Every one of us can forget that life does not consist in the abundance of our possessions. How do I know that? Why do I forget it? Those are two very important questions. How do I forget it? Oh, my goodness. Let Apple announce a new iPhone's coming out, all right? And you see what I do. I'm like, oh, I gotta have it. You know, I gotta have the new iPhone, you know? I gotta have an iWatch, you know? And, and, and why is that? You know, the other day I'm sitting on my couch. I'm actually using my iPad. I remember there was a day I didn't have an iPad. Oh, I want an iPad. When I get an iPad, that's going to be, that's, that's really living, you know? And, and I was looking for, the other day I'm sitting on my couch with my iPad. My wife asked me to do something. I remember taking my iPad and tossing it across the room onto the couch and starting to walk out of the room. And I thought to myself, oh my goodness, now I just throw it away. There was a time where I was like delicate, didn't want to break the screen and everything. You know, now it's just an iPad. Throw it away, right? You, maybe you figured this out. That thing that you want, that shiny thing, that, that, that new car, that whatever that thing is, maybe you're like I am about the whole Apple junk. That, how long does that thrill really last? How long does that satisfy, that satisfaction really last? Not very long, right? I mean, it doesn't last very long. Jesus knew this. And, and yet, he also knew this. We forget. We forget that life does not consist in the abundance of our possessions. And so, so many times we're trying to get more and more and more stuff. And Jesus comes along in his most important sermon. And you know what he says? He says, you cannot serve both God and money. 
He says, you do not serve money or possessions. That's not what you were put on the planet for. I'll say it this way. Do not worship money. Now, if you think about it, isn't that a silly thing to say? I mean, who's going to serve? I brought some money up here. I brought a, a, a bill and a coin. I mean, seriously, wrap your mind around this. Who's going to serve this? Who's going to worship this? I mean, that, that, sound, that sounds silly. Have you ever, you ever looked on a dollar bill, any of our bills, and noticed what it says, where it says, in God we trust? You ever notice that? It's on every coin that we have. Do, do you ever, ever wonder, how in the world did that get on our money? 1864 is the first recorded request of putting in God we trust on, on our money. A preacher in Illinois wrote the, uh, the director of the United States Mint and asked him to bring a bill to Congress that says, you know what, we have nothing on our money that talks about God. And if we keep going the way we are, then we will be a nation that serves and worships its currency. Can we please at least put God's name on the currency? A few years later, Congress passed a bill that it would go on our penny and then later on, it made it onto every other coin that we have and on every other bill that we have. And what's interesting, follow me here, is it's almost like our founding fathers and, the, and those who came a long time before us knew that how important this was to understand that before long, you can, even though you, you think that's a silly idea, I, why would I ever serve money? Why would I ever worship money? It seems like a silly idea, but what you can find out real quickly is that that's exactly how you're living. Instead of living like, in God I trust, in God I trust, we can write it on our bills, but some like, sometimes it seems like we're existing in, in money we trust. In money, in possessions. In money we trust. I need my money. I need my possessions because this is what I trust. Are you hearing me? Jesus comes along and he says, do not serve. Do not worship money or possessions. You know what worship, you remember where that word worship comes from? It's, it, it's worship. That's where we got that word worship from worthship whenever you're declaring worth or importance in your life and so when we talk about worship we're asking what is important to you and there are a lot of people that when it comes to worth what they're saying is important the almighty dollar is really really important right and they're declaring worth to it Stephen, who would worship a dollar listen whenever you're declaring that kind of worth to something you are bringing worthship to that thing and so if I could just talk to the graduates in the room, and I, sometimes I'll just, you know what I'm going to do? I'm gonna, one day I'm going to just put them all in a chair, make them all sit together and just talk to them and then let y'all hear. But, you know, can I get, if I could just talk to every graduate, let me just share with you. You might get your pen out, and I want you to write down three things when it comes to this second point, three subpoints. Here's the first thing. Learn this, remember this. That's it. That's the first thing. Learn this, remember this. Life does not consist in the abundance of your possessions. Do not worship money. Learn point number two. Just write it. That's this first point. Learn this. Remember this. Life does not, I, I do not need to serve money or possessions. That's the first thing. The second thing is this. I've learned that there's an antidote to point number two. If you really want to get beyond the worship and the service of money and possessions, number two, sub point number two, here's the antidote to that thing. You need to learn how to give generosity. 
Generosity is the antidote to this thing that makes us want to trust in money and trust in possessions. So learn how to be a giver. Learn how to follow God and imitate Him because God is a giver and He wants you to be a giver. And some of you were never taught to give by your family. And if you've been in church here, we've, we've tried to teach you how to give. But this is so important. It's an antidote to this thing in your heart that wants to continue to get stuff. Give it away. Give stuff away. Be generous. And, and here's the third sub-point there. Live, learn how to live beneath your means. All right? Whatever you bring in, live at a different place. Live beneath your means. Here's what I mean by that. When you go out and get your first job and you're making so much money, it looks like this, you know, this is what you're, you're going to have, you got some people who tell you what you can afford. You're going to, you want a new car and you're going to go to the salesman of the car. And he's going to say, you know, I've looked at your, I, I know what you're making and here's the deal. You can afford this kind of car and he'll show you right at the very top of what you can afford. And you'll be like, yay, ah, then give it to me, baby. Yeah. And then you'll go meet with the realtor and you know what, they'll, they'll do the same thing. They'll say, oh, so this is your income? Well, guess what? You can buy this much house. And you'll be like, all right, then I'm going to buy that much house. And on and on and on it goes. You know what wise people have learned? They have learned, listen, graduates, they have learned if this is how much you make, don't live here. Live down here. Live on what is less than you make. Live within and below your means. And what you'll find is there's room. There's room to breathe. There's less stress in your world. There's less pressure. When you have a you know, rainy day fun or Murphy comes and visits your house, you know, Murphy Law happened to everybody, right? He comes and visits your house. You have some room because you're living beneath your means and you're preparing for your future. Here's the big point I think Jesus would say to every graduate. You're going to be living in a world that screams, Get stuff, make money. But your life does not consist in the abundance of things. Don't store up for yourselves treasures here. Store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where it cannot fade away. In that same big sermon, Jesus said another thing. Matthew 7, 13. He said, enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life. And only a few find it. Now, this is big. Jesus is saying there's a big highway and a lot of people going down that road. But for you, why don't you look for the narrow gate? Why don't you find the small thing that hardly anybody's finding and you go through that one and that's where real life is found. Now, most people read that scripture and they think Jesus is just talking about heaven. This is salvation, you know. There's going to be a lot of people who choose some other way than me, than Jesus. But I want you to choose this way and you will find that this is the way that God has planned. And, and, and can I just tell you that I think that that is a massive underreading of what Jesus is teaching here. Jesus is teaching something so much. It, it does encompass us, but it's so much bigger. Jesus is saying this is life. There's a lot of people who choose the easy way, who go the masses way, and they will, in that way, they'll end in, in flames, they'll end in car crashes and destruction and, and death, and it just, it winds up in bad places. But you, you choose a different way. I, I like, I, I was at a conference not long ago, and this is the way they said it, a little differently. They said, 
successful people are willing to do what unsuccessful people are unwilling to do. I want you to think about that for a minute. Successful people are willing to do what unsuccessful people are unwilling to do. There's a bunch of people who want to go an easy way, who want to go that, but can I tell you that I figured out something? I bet you have too. Whenever you're looking at two different paths, and one of them looks like the easy path, and one of them looks like the very difficult path, have you ever been at that place where you just felt like, oh, you feel sick to your stomach because you know that God's got the difficult thing for you to do? Am I alone in that? I mean, oftentimes, it's, it's not the easy path that God's calling us to go. It's the more difficult path. That's life. Matter of fact, you got your pen. Write down this one for point number three. For you, here's what it should look like. Be willing to go the difficult way. Be willing to choose the difficult path. Be willing to do what other people are unwilling to do. And you will see that in that place, there's life. Now, this is the way it works, and Jesus is a genius, so listen to him. Jesus was saying, this is the way it works in everything. There's some people who, when it comes to their marriage, they're not willing to work at it. And if it's, if it's difficult, they'll choose the easy path. But here's how it is with you. You choose the difficult way. You do the harder thing. You work on your marriage. He tells us that about our kids, you know. It's gonna, you're going to hit some bumpy roads, but you've got to be willing to go the hard path to go the difficult way, and in that way, you will find life. Jesus taught this over and over again. He said, you need to look different than the world because the world will always act one way. They'll go the easy way. You go a different way. Sometimes he said it in ways that shocked us. He said, somebody walks up and smacks you in the cheek. You know what you need to do? Give them the other. Because who's doing that? Who's doing that? That's a difficult thing. Somebody asks you for something, don't just give them the coat off your back. Walk the mile with them, too. You go and do the more difficult thing. Is, am I making any sense? I mean, Jesus was saying to them, listen, you be willing to pay a price that looks vastly different. I mean, he did this over and over again. Jesus said, listen, he, you want to be the greatest in the kingdom? Then why don't you go serve? That's the, that's the way the kingdom lives. Service is the way you become the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. My son's about to head in a couple of weeks off to go play college football. And I told him, I said, and I'll talk to him and tell him that's right here in front of you. Almost every athlete in that room, tell me, Jerry, if it ain't true, almost every athlete in that locker room, because they're human and because they want to choose the, lead, the path of least resistance, they will find themselves bent towards choosing the easier route not doing the workouts, not running the extra things, not hitting the practices hard. And the greatest of all coaches come into that locker room and they keep demanding of those, those boys, pay the price, go further. You never choose the path of least resistance. You always choose the harder way and you see if it doesn't pay off in the end. Doesn't that sound somewhat like Jesus? Jesus is saying everybody's going down the wide road. And the path is, it ends in destruction. But for you, you choose the narrow gate. And in that narrow gate, you'll find that it leads to life. You see what Jesus is teaching? Jesus is teaching the real way life really works, okay? You really want life? You choose the harder path. If you have two choices and one of them, you have the nauseous factor on you, that's probably the one, okay? This is the way real life works, okay? One last thought. That I want. By the way, I guess one more thought there. You want to really be fruitful? You want to see the harvest in your life? 
Here's what I've learned. You just keep choosing difficult paths. Just choose the hard ways. And you see if there isn't great fruit and great harvest in every one of those places. Okay, I'm going to go back to Matthew chapter 6. Here's that sermon again. And Jesus, his disciples had said, hey, Jesus, would you teach us how to pray? And so Jesus started doing it. And, and you remember this, right? Have you learned this before? Our Father which art in heaven. Do you remember that? Some, some, some folks call it the Our Father. He taught them the Lord's Prayer. Matter of fact, with me real quickly, can we just recite the Lord's Prayer? This is something we actually know from heart, from memory, okay? So would you pray this prayer with me? Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. What do we have to learn in this little place? Can we just put that scripture up there real quickly? The world is going to teach you over and over again to be absorbed with yourself. You know, you think about a baby being born. The baby is all about the baby. The baby doesn't care about anybody else. Feed me, feed me. I'm cold, I'm cold. The baby starts doing a lot of different things like that. The, the baby is a... But you know, can I... Hey, moms and dads, have you ever noticed that that doesn't really change in elementary school? Have you ever noticed that kids are still like, mine, 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 and it's all about me still? Yeah. Does it change in middle school? I can't remember, does it? Yeah. No, no you, can, no, you can tell me the truth. No, it doesn't change in middle school either. They're still all about themselves, right? How I look. And you're not willing to buy that for me? You know, okay. Does it change in high school? No, it's okay. You're getting the rhythm here. You're getting the rhyme, okay? No, it don't. Even in high school, it's all about them. It's all about them, right? Me, 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 me. And those of us who are parents, you know what we long for? We long to see our children one day begin to move out of the me, me, me's and actually make it about something that's far bigger than them. I want to get what Jesus was teaching. Do you see my and mine up on that screen anywhere? What do you see? You see these and thines, don't you? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. Jesus was teaching them you need to be praying this because it's bigger than you. It's bigger than you. It's not about you. It's bigger than you. This is about you understanding that, that, that God has something bigger than you. He was talking to them about their heart. He was saying, your heart is going to be bent towards you forever. Why don't you start getting your heart away from you and bend it towards something else, towards God? Here's the deal, though. There are people who are much, much older than I am and they're still praying prayers like this. Oh, God, help me get what I want. Would you give me what I want? Help me get what I want. Jesus said that's not even how you're supposed to be praying. You're not supposed to be praying, give me what I want. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. You should be centered on something else different than yourself. You see what Jesus was teaching his disciples that day? Jesus, he said it over and over again, but in this prayer, he kept saying, he basically, he was saying, take out all the me's and mine's and, and, and make your worldview about thee and thine. And, and that's where you'll find life. In other places, he would say something like this. If you really want life, if you really want to find your life, you got to give it away. You got to die to yourself. So listen, graduates, if you're graduating, look up here for a minute. 
I want to talk to you for a minute. In commencement services all over our nation, can I just tell you a phrase that has been used over and over again that I think would never come out of the lips of Jesus? I heard it yesterday. I'll probably hear it in two weeks when I go to the next graduation service and the week after that. People stand up and they mean all the best things by it. Oh, they'll say it over and over again. It would not come out of Jesus' lips. Here's the phrase. Follow your dreams. Follow your dreams. Can there be anything more American than follow your dreams? But can I submit to you that it's not kingdom? It is so much not kingdom. Write this fourth point down. If I could give you the commencement address from Jesus, I tell you that Jesus would not say to pursue your dreams. I tell you that Jesus would ask you to pursue God's dreams. Because your dreams so oftentimes are going to end in nightmares. Why would you pursue your dreams? So what you need to do is you need to take all the me's and the mine's out and put, put, put the these and the thine's in there and you need to start pursuing God's dreams and saying, okay, God, I don't want to be like a baby or an elementary school the rest of my life. I don't want to be an old person who's still consumed with me. I want to be about you. God, what are your dreams? I want to run after your dreams. And here's what that looks like. For any graduate, you're saying, okay, God, you gave me my gifts and you gave me passions. What do you have for me? What are your dreams? Show them to me, God, and I'll run after them. See, this is how you really find life. You don't say, God, give me what I want. You say, God, what do you have for me? If you've got that outline, can I just invite you to look at those four points one more time? And I want you to notice the mission and the movement behind them. You've been made to be a light. Push back the darkness. Do you see how missional that is? You were not made to serve money or to worship possessions. You were made for so much more than that. You were made to realize in that job, God's called you to make a difference. It ain't about money or possessions. Your life consists in far more than that. Look at the third one. Go the difficult way. Go the difficult way in your family. Go the hard way in your work. Choose the harder path, and you'll find that that brings life. And then that last one, run after God's dreams. You see how missional Jesus' Sermon on the Mount is? And I'm just telling you, here's four big ideas. If you could wrap your mind around those four ideas, it can change your family tree. It will change your perspective on your workplace and on your family and on your world and on your pocketbook. It will change your perspective so much. And my prayer for you graduates and, and now, can I talk to everybody else in the room who's not a graduate? Can I do that real quickly? My prayer for every graduate here is that you would understand this is real life, right? I forgot. What does commencement mean? Beginning. See, here's the power of a new day for everybody else who's not getting a diploma this weekend. Tomorrow is a commencement again for you. It's a beginning of a brand new day. Do you see the power in that? You have a chance to be light, to push back the darkness. You have a chance to remember again that your life, oh, hallelujah, does not consist in the abundance of stuff. I promise you that. You were put on this planet for far more than that. 
you have a chance to do the difficult thing, to do the hard thing, to go the different path than everybody else is going. And you have a chance to pursue God's dreams, not your own. See, every new day is a commencement for us. A new beginning where mercy is brand new and where God is awaiting to say, come, join me. I've got so much planned for you. Would you pray with me? Oh, Father, help us to really see life your way. Help us to really live. Help us to be light where you've put us and to push back the darkness. Remind us that our life is not about stuff and money. Remind us that our life has always been about so much more. And Lord, we pray that you would help us choose the harder way, the more difficult path. And we pray that in that path would be light and life. And Lord, I pray that every one of us in the name of Jesus, especially these graduates who are heading away from their homes, many of them are heading into new places of workplace or who are praying about the next job you have in front of them. I I pray, God, that that you would make them light wherever they go and that you would help them to run after your dreams, not their dreams. Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus they would take their dreams and just bankrupt them on your altar and that they would say, oh, Jesus, I want to give my life to you. I give my life to you. Thank you for the passions and the gifts. Help me to run after your dreams for me. Thank you, Jesus. Because when this Sermon on the Mount, you gave it. You gave us the prescription for real life and real living. Oh, I pray, Jesus, that you would help us look different than the rest of the world. Help us shine. Oh, help us shine. Lord, in the next few minutes, as we give to your kingdom gain, we're reminded who you are. You are a giver. We give generously. And we give with the same motive that you gave. In John 3, 16, it says, you loved the world so much that you gave. And we love. And Lord, we're asking you to make us great lovers. And we're asking you to make us great givers. That's what I've been praying over this church for the longest time, that you'd make us great lovers, lovers of you in the world, and that you'd make us great givers. We give to your glory. We give to your kingdom. Multiply our gift in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.